Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Arctic Dialogue 2014, a collaboration of the University of Nordland, the High North Center, and the Arctic Institute. We're speaking with attendees and speakers about their work, the Arctic Dialogue Conference, and the conference's theme of Arctic resources. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kevin Casey. Today we're talking with Shella Bialis. Shella is a Foreign Service Officer at the U.S. Embassy in Oslo, Norway, who formerly worked with the U.S. Department of the Interior on Arctic issues. We caught up with Shella on the sidelines of Arctic Dialogue. Shella, thanks for joining us. Can I ask you to begin by introducing yourself briefly? Yeah, well, my name is Shella Bialis. I work at the U.S. Embassy in Oslo as a Foreign Service Officer. My actual title is the Environment Science Technology and Health Officer. I uh, This is my first tour with the State Department. I uh, went to school for my master's in public administration at the University of Washington in Seattle. After that, worked for the federal government for the Department of Interior for a few years and then moved over to the State Department. Excellent. Can I ask you to discuss briefly your work as it relates directly to the Arctic? Sure. Um, as the environment and science officer, I work on cooperation and coordination with Norway on a variety of things. Uh, of course, Arctic ends up being a huge part of that because we cooperate very heavily in the Arctic. So uh, anything that has to do with uh, preparing for Arctic Council meetings, uh, climate change as it relates to the Arctic, uh, scientific cooperation that uh, we might be trying to improve ends up coming across my desk. So it's it takes up a huge chunk of my portfolio, even when it's not specifically Arctic Council. How in your career did you come to work on Arctic issues? Uh, have you always wanted to work on things related to the Arctic? No, it's actually pretty random. And, and I'm in a unique position because as a Foreign Service officer, we usually arrive in our positions at the embassy with very little, uh, maybe pre-hand or prior work experience in a particular topic. But I came to uh, the Department of Interior as a presidential management fellow after my graduate school uh, in the Secretary of Interior's policy office. And in that office, uh, the secretary prioritizes a number of different policy issues at one time and the different analysts focus on that. I happen to be asked to start helping to coordinate within the Department of Interior on Arctic Specifically, this was in 2009, 2010, when Arctic was starting to gain a little bit more attention. Of course, the Department of Interior's participation in the Arctic is very domestic, uh, Alaska-focused, so offshore oil and gas, uh, fish and wildlife, endangered species issues, uh, National Park Service with our cooperation with Russia across uh, the Bering Strait. So a lot of different things uh, I got to work on domestically. Uh, so that was my background in Arctic. When I left the Department of Interior to join the State Department, it was with no expectation that I would ever work on Arctic again. So it was actually quite uh, fortunate, but very random that I was assigned as my first uh, tour as the environment officer in Oslo. It was a combination of good fortune and really good timing and um, having a background in Arctic and having this position available at the same time uh, was was really, really lucky, and it's been really great. That's interesting. You've been involved in U.S. policy development on the Arctic for a number of years. Can you talk briefly about how you've seen the U.S. approach to the Arctic evolve since 2009? Yeah, I think in 2009, when I started working on Arctic issues, it was when the national ocean policy had just been released by the president and one of the chapters of that ocean policy uh, implementation was focused on the Arctic. 
uh, Interior as a department that has a lot of responsibility in our offshore areas was asked to contribute to the drafting of that. It was a fairly, um, you know, scientific uh, policy analyst level effort, and I was asked to help coordinate that. So um, since then, from the ocean policy, I worked on the coordination of our uh, five-year plan for the uh, Interagency Arctic Research Policy Committee, IARPIC. And after that, it, it really seemed to that our participation in Arctic grew as a result of the um, Arctic Council Ministerial in Nuke, Greenland. So these two documents had been in development before the Arctic Council Ministerial in Nuke, Greenland. And at that time, Secretary Clinton decided to participate uh, in that Arctic Council Ministerial. And she invited uh, Secretary of, of the Interior Salazar to be part of that delegation with her. So that, one, increased my ability to see how Arctic policy at an international level happened, but also I think made the whole uh, kind of policy community in D.C. and elsewhere in the country see that this was an issue that was going to be uh, at a high attention at a political level for the U.S. So it was really interesting to see it evolve from a very scientific level, um, a lot of coordination at, at you know the administrative bureaucratic level mm-hmm. to now it's this is an international uh, high level issue. So it was it was a very quick transition, actually, from from those two things. How do you see your work either with the Department of the Interior or now with the Department of State contributing to a better future for the Arctic? Yeah, I, I think, well, I'll be specific to my role here in Oslo because it, it, in D.C., all of the bureaucrats, the people who sit on the interagency are all bringing their own perspective. But I think when you take it to the embassy level where I'm able to say and draw on my experience as someone who's worked in our interagency world and kind of shed light to our Norwegian counterparts here on what that has looked like and what our own transition has looked like. Uh, so it's been really exciting for me to to come here to Oslo, to a country that's been involved in Arctic and has had deep, um, deep policy work and deep uh, actual, uh, you know, economic development and all kinds of things happening here in Norway and say, you know, this is actually something we're thinking really deeply about in the U.S. And providing my own personal background gives a lot of credibility to what the U.S. is doing on the Arctic. And we hear in international forums a lot that the U.S. is not paying enough attention, that the U.S. needs to do more. Um, But when I can talk to people I know here very well, my Norwegian counterparts, and say, now this is this is what it looks like in the U.S. to talk about Arctic. We have a lot of different players. We have a lot of really deep experience. It really helps, I think, demonstrate that this is, this is important for us, and the U.S. is paying attention, in fact, and we have very deep involvement. So that has been cool to be a part of. And either your work in Washington, D.C., or in your discussions with your counterparts here in Norway, what are some things that aren't being discussed currently that we really do need to start discussing when it comes to the Arctic? I think we hear a lot of discussions about challenges, opportunities, resources versus environmental challenges. And one thing that has started to be discussed is the idea of layering these things on top of each other in one discussion. And the Norwegians have a good word for it, uh, integrated resource management. When you're talking about resources, we adopted that a little bit in the U.S. and and used the term ecosystem-based management, Uh, trying to get all these different things on top of each other, if you think of it in a spatial way, um, at the same time. It's not easy, but the Arctic Council uh, started looking at this a few years back and developed an expert group on ecosystem-based management. And the U.S. played a really 
big leadership role in that and, and worked well with Norway on that. But I still don't think the conversation has gone far enough. I, I go to a lot of these conferences and I see different presentations. One presentation will be focused on environmental challenges, climate change, you know, and then the next tranche of presentations will be focused on, uh, you know, energy resource development. They're, they're two separate folks. They're two separate groups of people. And there's not a lot of, I think, analysis and overlap. Okay, how do we do all of those things at the same time, we're going to have to have, you know, someone mentioned have, we're going to have fish and we're going to have oil in Northern Norway at the same time. That's going to happen. But what does that really mean? How do we start really putting those things on top of each other? Um, and I think that, that that conversation needs to go further. Yes, it really was a stark juxtaposition this morning going from a panel discussing the need for a binding agreement on climate change in the Arctic to a panel discussing the uh, oil and gas exploration in the Arctic. Uh, and it just really emphasizes the challenge of integrating these different worldviews that people bring to the Arctic today. And I think it also sheds light on the real interdisciplinary nature of the problems that we face in the Arctic and that solutions are going to require that we bring in uh, perspectives from all different types of disciplines, whether it be physical sciences or social sciences, uh, the business community, the policy community, uh, to really be able to develop uh, a plan for sustainably developing the Arctic. And I think that's one of the real benefits of an event like Arctic Dialogue is you get people from all these different disciplines together in the same room to begin to hear one another and discuss. Um, what do you think are some of the other benefits of an event like Arctic Dialogue? Yeah, I think people who work in the Arctic world realize pretty quickly that it's a small world, not only the actual physical space and the number of people who are living and working in the Arctic, but the people who are uh, paying attention to it at such a level that they're attending events like this. It, it becomes a very small community. You start to recognize faces. You start to get to know the personalities. Um, you start to know what people's spiels are, as it were. But um, that's a good thing because the more relationships we can build in in across disciplines, this goes back to the cross-disciplinary, to meet the people who are doing things that are not the same as what you're working on or have different perspectives, it becomes easier in the future to draw on them. When you come across a challenge, you right away know who the person is to contact that works on, you know, works at Stott Oil on uh, environmental impact statements or who uh, works with the Norwegian government on um, indigenous issues or mining or whatever it is that might come across your your desk wherever you're working in the world on Arctic issues. And that's, that's I think, really why people come to these things is, you know, we all see the PowerPoint presentations. I think we're an informed group at events like this. Uh, there's lots of new information, of course, but it's more, I think, to build these relationships and see people face to face and and know who is working on what at a, a very personal level. And I, I think that there is actually huge value in that. The theme of this year's Arctic Dialogue is Arctic resources. What comes to mind for you when you think about Arctic resources? I, I think that it's starting to get a, more attention, but human resources, uh, we talk a lot about the natural resources and there are plenty in the Arctic, but the last year or two, I've really seen the conversation start to shift to the human resource side of it, the people that are working and living in the Arctic. And Norway has been really great. And it's a different example because they have a, a large population in comparison to their national population that are actually living in the Arctic. And part of that's you know, due to their geography and their climate, they're able to have uh, 
a lot of activity in the Arctic, um, but they really value having education centers, um, keeping people in the cities in the north and have put great effort into that. And you see the result when you come to northern Norway, Tromso and Boda, there are people and universities and industries and it's thriving. And I think that that's a that's a good example of, of what we can be doing elsewhere in the Arctic, actually putting in education centers, uh, making it possible for people to stay in their communities or or come back and be leaders and, and have industry and, and have activities. And so I think that's the next step. We're, we're getting there and the conversation's starting to happen. But I, I think, again, that could be discussed more and be focused on more. Yes, that's an important point to bring up the importance of human resources in the Arctic. When we think about the Arctic's resources, we automatically think of the, the natural resources. Um, is there a way that natural resource development goes hand in hand with human development in the Arctic? I think so. And I think it's it's going to follow as, you know, in northern Alaska, for example, it's it's pretty, well, very sparsely populated. But as we see more activity happening up there, and, and we will, there will need to be more people, um, both in the actual extraction industry or the actual development industry, but also in the service sector. Um, Tourism is a good example, and and I've heard examples of if there was more tourist ships going through the Bering Strait to the North Slope of Alaska, well, there are no hotels in Barrow that would possibly be able to to take care of any onshore uh, tourism. Let alone if a, if there was an incident where the ship needed to dock and you know be repaired or offload people in a search and rescue situation or a, an emergency situation they don't have that capacity. So then, yeah, we're going to need more resources. We're going to need more people. So those things will go hand in hand, but we can be more prepared by putting in education, by putting in um, ways for people to to stay in those communities versus having to leave and come back. There's a lot of discussion in the media about the development of the Arctic's resources or the race for the Arctic resources. Do you think that Arctic resource development is overhyped in the media or do you think that it's getting the attention that it deserves? Um, overhyped might be a little strong, but I because I think that you know, paying attention to an emerging issue is always a good thing. Um, we can't discuss enough the the changes that are going to happen. But I think that there was a bit of bulge of excitement when um, when Secretary Clinton announced that she was going to the nuke ministerial. I think that did create this wave about three or four years ago, before 2011, of people all of a sudden that hadn't been paying attention to the Arctic starting to pay attention, or even just before that, there was a little bit of wave of excitement. But I think what that did is bring in new voices, new perspectives, people that were working in issues that relate to the Arctic, like tourism, like uh, risk analysis, like uh, uh, clean energy, alternative energy that hadn't been in that discussion before. Um, and since that initial excitement has died down, those voices haven't left the conversation. The conversation has become a little bit more established, a lot broader, and I think that's been a positive thing. So we've we've created a broader discussion because of that initial excitement, but that's that's just kept a good conversation going. And hopefully a more nuanced discussion as we bring in and integrate all these new voices and perspectives into the dialogue about the Arctic uh, Shella, thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your time at Arctic Dialogue 2014. Thank you, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. Follow along with the series at our website, thearcticinstitute.org, 
and find out more about Arctic Dialogue at arcticdialogue.com. The music you heard at the beginning and the end of this podcast comes from Heber Zephyrin. You can find more of his music at ccmixter.org. 